You are listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. And now, a faux fiction audio production published by Not a Pipe Publishing. Super Guy by Kurt Klopton. Super Guy, the generic alternative. Less superhero hype, same superhero quality. Chapter 18 Gray Matter really enjoyed research. Simply adored it. And this was the epitome of research. Sure, on a very basic level, he was just watching television, but this was some real quality television. Practically PBS, or the History Channel, or one of those critically acclaimed shows on HBO, so it counted as research. Not to mention, this was more entertaining than watching something like pro football because there were no commercial interruptions, no timeouts, and no ungodly long halftime shows. Just nonstop big hits. Gray Matter wasn't the only one enjoying the show, however, since most of the city of Milwaukee had now tuned in to see their rookie superhero battling out with some mysterious supervillain on live television. Mysterious, that is, except to Grey Matter. He knew the man's identity because he had hired him to come to town in the first place. The supervillain had been tasked with putting Superguy through a variety of tests so Grey Matter could observe and assess his new foe. Simple, basic research with explosions. Sadly, For most of the viewing audience, they only had the local television news coverage for watching the battle, which meant they would miss the beginning of the fight, and what they did see wouldn't be filmed very well. That wasn't really the fault of the local television stations. They usually didn't have the experience or the equipment to cover an expansive, fast-moving story. The soup-and-half-sandwich fundraiser for the local pet shelter they will nail it. Picking up a small cloud formation on the super-duper double-doppler-plus storm radar, they'll have blanket coverage and a ticker scroll and regional map graphics showing the affected counties, all of it obscuring the view on your 52-inch screen of your favorite show, but thank goodness you know it's raining. The haphazard local news coverage would in no way be mistaken for the product of some brilliant cinematographer who knew where the action would take place and how to set up the cameras to take the best advantage of angles and backgrounds and lighting. This had been a big problem for Grey Matter. He couldn't leave it in the hands of local television hacks. He needed to see every punch, kick, and small tactical warhead explosion perfectly framed and in high definition. It was his research project, after all. He wouldn't be satisfied if CNN were doing the work. At first, he had considered buying at least one local television station so he could staff it with extra cameras and operators who he would then have conveniently in place to cover the story. But there hadn't been enough time. So instead, he had decided to simply disguise several camera teams as local television crews and place them along the route where the fight would happen, in addition to remote cameras in spots where they couldn't place an actual cameraman. 
This allowed gray matter to watch the battle from beginning to end in amazing detail on the wall-mounted monitors behind his desk. Most of the monitors showed feeds from his men or the remote cameras, but three were tuned to the local television stations so he could watch their live coverage as they got on the scene. Once the stations had broken into their regularly scheduled programming, all of the monitors on the wall showed the battle from different vantage points. And a battle it was. The Cyclone, as the supervillain was normally known, but now in a different costume so his identity would remain secret, had methodically followed each of Grey Matter's instructions, using naturally or secretly placed weapons along a prearranged route through the city to test Super Guy's abilities. Fire, water, sound, bullets, rockets, electricity, you name it. It had already been used on the hero, or soon would be. And, so far, Super Guy was performing admirably, although not beyond Grey Matter's expectations, since he possessed a copy of the original hero position description. But a person, even an evil genius, could never be too careful. He just wanted to make certain there were no surprises due to some late addition to the budget giving Superguy powers not listed in the original document. Suddenly, an explosion flashed across the monitors on the wall, caught in various angles by the different cameras. Grey Matter pushed an uncooperative lock of hair off his forehead as he leaned in to see the results of the blast. Oliver flew backward as the shockwave of the explosion slammed into him. He had seen the object thrown by the supervillain, but discounted it, thinking it was only a piece of metal, since the costumed man had just picked it up off the ground. But he was now carefully re-examining that conclusion as he sailed through the air. He figured he had nothing better to do with his time. Flailing his arms about didn't help. He had already tried that. Ugh. Flying would be really useful right now. Oliver muttered to himself, knowing at least then he could recover in the air instead of having to wait for the indignity of impact. Unfortunately for him, this time, the impact wasn't just a one-shot deal. After slamming into what he realized was a wall as he passed through it, Oliver's momentum from the blast kept him going, and he proceeded to plow through six more walls in quick succession. Uh, uh, before skidding to a stop on the thinly carpeted floor of a small apartment. <sighs> Sitting on his butt, Oliver looked up to see an early 20s slacker guy on a ratty sofa holding a small container of yogurt in one hand and a spoon, one end of which was in his mouth, in the other. Dust was slowly settling on everything, and something metal clattered to the floor behind Oliver. That was followed by a thud and the sound of breaking glass. The scent of petiole was strong. The slacker guy looked at Oliver for a couple of seconds, then slowly rotated his head back to the television in front of him. Then, more quickly at Oliver, then right back to the television again, then to the hole in the wall, and back to the television. A big smile spread across his face once he pulled the spoon out of his mouth, and Oliver steeled himself for the excitement that was a fan meeting a superhero, something he had experienced several times in his first week of work. Strangely, it didn't come. The guy stood up, 
dropping his spoon and yogurt on the sofa. But then he ran out the hole and continued to bound through the intervening apartments until he reached the outside wall. Once there, he began to jump up and down and wave his hands in the air. This wasn't typical of an excited fan. Oliver stood and dusted plaster, splinters, and, oddly enough, feathers off his uniform. He then noticed the television, which was showing a shaky helicopter camera shot of a big hole in the side of an apartment building that presently had a guy jumping up and down and waving from it. Okay, little ego check there, mumbled Oliver as he started walking back through the path of destruction he had inadvertently made. He carefully scanned the wreckage as he went, but didn't notice anyone else at home in the various apartments. As he passed through one of the last walls, he grabbed a broken water pipe now spraying across the room and bent it back on itself to stop the flow. No one will notice the pipe I fixed. They'll only see the six or seven tiny holes. At the outer wall, he paused next to the guy waving to the cameras, who was also now taking a cell phone video of himself waving to the cameras, and said... You're really going to spend your precious few seconds of fame just waving? At the very least, have the presence of mind to drop your pants and moon the world. Then, Oliver stepped out of the hole and dropped the six stories to the street below. He didn't really think twice about doing things like that now, which was an example of how much his perspective had changed. If someone would have told him on his first day that he would be doing such things a couple of weeks into the job, Oliver probably wouldn't have believed them. There had to be some transition time, right? Start with some bike safety presentations, maybe nab a particularly devious jaywalker? Work your way up? But maybe getting blown up a couple of times right off the bat accelerates things a bit. Another factor was the serum. It was made so the hero would have a natural confidence in his unnatural abilities from day one. You wanted your hero ready to go, not sitting around in a perfectly good bulletproof body trying to get up the nerve to actually step in front of a hill of bullets. Oliver had not exactly been content to wait and see what he could do either. He had spent most of his first couple of days on the job testing his powers and their limits, along with Roger's very enthusiastic help. His powers, as he already knew, weren't mind-blowing, but they were still rather cool for a guy who had been slightly below average on any type of scale you cared to use a couple of weeks ago. And his limits seemed pretty, well, limitless so far. Of course, at a certain point, some things began to hurt a bit, like falling more than 10 stories was hard on the knees, or punching more than 20 or so rocks into dust in a row was tough on the knuckles. However, the pain was fleeting, and nothing Oliver couldn't handle. Higher falls would produce a bit more pain and require a little more recovery time, but it would take a fall from an airplane to really slow him down. Anything from a structure within the city was essentially nothing. Roger wondered if there might not be some way to predict the amount of pain and recovery time from a fall in a mathematical formula. Oliver decided Roger's time would be better spent finding him a way to fly so he could avoid the pain, the recovery time, and any math. As for other experiments, Roger had enjoyed shooting Oliver when they decided to try that, but most other things were really just different ways of falling. Fall off of something, traditional falling. Run as fast as you can into something, horizontal falling, or let something hit you at high speed, 
lazy man's folly. Looking back now, they hadn't really attempted much more than the several varieties of falling. And the bullets. Although Roger used a lot of different calibers just to be thorough, this was why the present fight was proving to be so useful to Oliver. So far, he'd been shot by a surprising number of calibers, electrocuted, set on fire, shot some more, remained underwater for almost 10 minutes, a portion of the fight had taken place in Lake Michigan, hit with everything imaginable, from bricks to better-than-average sized sailboats, to finally now blown up. At this point, Oliver thought he had a really good grasp on what he could take, and it seemed to be a lot. The only thing bugging him was that he wasn't exactly dishing out much punishment in return. The villain always seemed to be a step ahead of him, grabbing the next weapon before Oliver had picked himself up off the ground from the last one. It was beginning to wear on him, not to mention being annoying. As Oliver looked up the street to where the villain now stood, he wondered if it was his lack of superhero battle experience that explained why he was taking all the punishment. The bad guy was only about 40 yards away and seemed to be biding his time, waiting for Oliver to get back in the game. The villain was dressed up in a basic two-tone, mostly dark blue costume with a cape and a mask that obscured most of his face. Oliver would have said it was a pretty generic uniform if it wasn't for the fact that he had the market cornered in that regard. This guy was flashy in comparison. Oliver didn't recognize him, but he wasn't surprised since he didn't have the knowledge of superheroes and villains that Roger possessed. Oliver took his eyes off the villain for a quick second to scan the area around them. Somehow, they had managed to circle back around to almost where the fight had started in the first place. Oliver even glimpsed his Omni, parked about a block down on one of the side streets, which now seemed a little too close for comfort. Deciding that if he was ever going to change the momentum of the fight, he needed to start dealing out some damage, Oliver picked up a section of wall that had fallen to the street from the hole he had made in the apartment building. The piece wasn't very large overall, but it was made up of several heavy chunks of masonry connected with rebar that could do some real damage. Oliver spun around once to gather momentum and flung the piece of wall back at the villain. It looked to be right on target and was traveling at high speed when the villain easily sidestepped the projectile and let it fly by him. Then he leaped into the sky and flew off down the street, keeping one eye on the superhero. Oliver, however, was keeping his eyes on the section of wall he had just thrown. It certainly hadn't endangered the villain in the least, and now Oliver cringed as it plowed into the first of several parked cars on the side of the street. knocking each one into the next until they finally slid to a stop in a pile of crumpled metal and shattered glass about halfway down the block. Ugh, well, that's bad. He shook his head and turned his attention back to the villain flying away down the street. Oliver had chased him on foot earlier in the fight, so he knew he couldn't catch him because the guy could fly much faster if he wanted. Still... The villain hadn't tried to get away before, and it didn't seem like he was going to start now. Why would he? He's not exactly in danger. Seems only hazardous to be a building or parked car at the moment. The villain gained altitude and turned east, 
flying for several blocks, and landing on the top floor of a partially constructed building. Standing among the steel beams, Oliver's opponent looked back across the distance and gestured for the hero to follow. Despite the distance, this was easy for Oliver to see, thanks to his enhanced vision. It might even seem super cool if he weren't getting his butt kicked by the guy. Yeah, yeah, hold on, said Oliver, noticing the time on the sign for a local bank. He sprinted down a side street. A couple of seconds later, he whipped around the corner in his dark blue Omni and headed east. It wasn't faster to use the Omni, Oliver could easily run the distance more quickly, but he knew his time on the parking meter was about up and he didn't want to ticket. There were a lot of cops around right now due to the fight and he no longer had the protection of an official city vehicle. He really missed the Taurus. Oliver's communicator beeped and a generic female voice stated, Incoming call from Emma Sims. Answer call. What the hell are you doing? Um, superhero-y things? Oh, that's what you call it. Looks a lot like putting random holes in buildings and rearranging parked cars into piles of trash. I'm watching it on TV. So is the mayor, who decided to call and yell at me about it. Oh, well, I hope that wasn't too uncomfortable for you. Me? I just got blown up. Again. You know, explosion, flames, hotness. But enough about me. Let's talk about you. Don't be a smartass. Oh, I'd stop, but it seems to be the only thing I'm doing successfully at the moment. Besides getting my ass kicked up and down our lovely city. Plenty of punishment. Mostly physical, but you've added a nice emotional element to it now, so thanks for that. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Look, the mayor would just appreciate it if you would do a little less damage to your surroundings. Personally, I've never liked that area of town. In fact, if you get a chance, toss a car through that mall on 4th. A hot pretzel stand and an orange Julius is not a food court. Okay, gotcha. We'll try to stop breaking things. Calm and call. I wonder how I send my calls straight to voicemail on this thing. Parking a block short of the building for safety, Oliver jogged over to the construction site and leapt over the chain-link fence surrounding it. He landed on top of a bulldozer and bounded off of that to a crane arm which he ran up until he could jump across to the seventh floor of the building. He quickly leapt through the holes in the floors until he reached the 14th. From there, he took it more slowly, knowing the villain was waiting on the highest floor, which was about the 16th. He scaled the steel skeleton of the building over those last two floors, trying to be as quiet as possible to give himself some kind of advantage. But... It did little good. As he poked his head above the 16th floor, the villain reached down and pulled him up by the neck of his costume and tossed him out into the open. Oliver rolled as he landed and came up on his feet, ready to deflect whatever attack followed, but none did. The villain walked over to a large object in the center of the floor and pulled a tarp off it. Oliver expected to see some piece of well-used construction equipment that was then going to be hurled at him, but instead, it was a shiny metallic object. And that shiny metallic object looked a lot like a large menacing gun mounted on a stationary base. Uh-oh. He'd been shot several times so far, and while being shot again didn't really worry him, he guessed by the look of the gun this was different. The villain confirmed it with the first words he had bothered to speak. Well, we're getting to the end of it. 
almost sounding like Oliver's dad when they were finally about to wrap up some long, boring project around the house. The guy flipped a switch that started the gun humming ominously. What? Are you going to surrender? No, I don't think so. And don't bother trying yourself. It's not an option. (sighs) Hadn't really considered it, said Oliver, taking a couple steps backward and looking around for something that might be helpful. Seeing nothing, he started to leap off to the side, hoping to get out of range of the weapon. But even before he could start his jump, the villain pulled a gun with lightning speed and blasted him with a ray of bright yellow light. Oliver stood half-crouched, ready to jump, but didn't move. Not that he didn't want to, he just suddenly couldn't. He felt as if every part of his body had instantaneously fallen asleep complete with that prickling feeling that accompanies it. Oliver was essentially frozen in place. Don't get fidgety there, big guy. This is a nifty little paralyzation ray my friend gave me. Won't hold you for too long, but we only need a minute to get this done. Your friend's a jerk. The villain didn't respond, just adjusted a dial on the gun without taking his eyes off him. Oliver could feel the effects of the ray already wearing off, but it wasn't happening quickly enough. He was suddenly aware of the news helicopters hovering in the distance, catching all of this live, which was looking more and more to Oliver like the end of his very short career. It made him a little angry, and he tried speaking again. It came out a bit more clearly. Look, you've shot me a bunch of times already and it didn't even hurt, so why bother? Come out from behind there and fight me for once. I'd like that, and I really would, but that's not the plan. And you're right, I have shot you a lot, but I haven't shot you with this. I know you're new to the profession, so let me explain. This isn't just a normal type of weapon. This is what we call a superhero quality energy ray, meaning it's strong enough to hurt guys like us. A blast at full power will put you out of commission at the very least if it doesn't kill you outright. But don't worry, we're not going to start that high. We want to see what you're made of. The villain smiled and pulled the trigger. Oliver had started to say something else in hopes of delaying the seemingly inevitable, but those words quickly disintegrated into a howl of pain as a short burst of deep red light shot out of the gun and into his right thigh. It wasn't at all like being shot by a gun, which to Oliver felt like being tapped by a finger or hit by a snowball, depending on the caliber. This burned as if someone were pressing a red-hot ember to his skin. Only, it burned worse than anything he had ever felt before. And that burning didn't stop on the surface, but seemed to run completely through his thigh. Oliver staggered backward several feet from the power of the blast, but he managed to stay upright, despite still feeling the numbness of the paralyzation ray. An acrid smell hung in the air, and Oliver leaned over as much as he could to examine the wound. No gaping hole existed in his thigh, as he feared there might be, but his costume was melted away, exposing his skin and the dark red burn that now marked it. See? I told you it hurts. And that was just the low setting. Let's see how something a little higher appeals to you. He took aim again and squeezed off another blast. This one hit Oliver in the left shoulder and tossed him backward onto the floor like a rag doll, landing with his head just inches away from the edge. The pain was tremendous, 
and it took all Oliver had for a couple of seconds to keep from passing out. He lay on his back, sucking in air as his arms and legs shook uncontrollably. He took the shaking as a sign that he might not be paralyzed anymore, but since it was uncontrollable, it still wasn't really a positive. His communicator beeped just then, and the female voice said that someone was calling. But Oliver didn't catch who it was because his ears were ringing. Probably Emma again. To tell him something useful, like, don't get shot by the big shiny gun. Oliver obviously ignored the call, but the pain from the ray was another matter altogether. He couldn't ignore that. To the contrary, it was almost all he could think about. Almost. With great effort, he pulled his still partially paralyzed body up to a more or less upright position, staggered one step forward and then three backward toward the edge. That was one more step than he had room for. So, Oliver went off the side of the building and fell from view. Come on, said the villain, stepping out from behind the gun and walking over to the ledge. Now how much more time is this going to take? He still needed one more shot from the ray to complete the mission and collect his money. Grey Matter had been very specific about each test. The villain looked down to the street below, wondering how long it would take this super guy to pull himself together and get back up there. If he even had the guts to come back up. But he would. It was built into the serum. A hero would always keep coming back. The villain just wondered how long it would take for this hero, who was still pretty new, to shake it off and get back up. He considered flying down and hauling the hero back up, but he couldn't see him on the ground below, so maybe he was already on his way. That was pretty impressive, because the guy was definitely taking a beating. The villain turned to go back to his gun and prepare for the last shot, but stopped suddenly. The hero was already back, and quite unluckily for the villain, standing right behind the gun. Oliver rolled the dial, conveniently labeled power level, to the full position, and took aim at the villain's chest as the blue-clad man turned around and started back toward the gun. The thought that he should give the villain a chance to surrender streaked fleetingly through Oliver's mind before he brushed it aside and pulled the trigger. The villain had a hand half-raised in defense and was starting to say something as the beam of energy caught him square in the chest and sent him flying off the building like a football kicked off a tee. Ah! Oliver, ever energy conscious, flipped the power switch off and the hum of the weapon faded. Limping out from behind the gun, he slowly made his way to the edge of the building. Uh, I guess that makes me one to zero. Grey Matter hit the button on his remote, turning off the wall monitors and swung back around to his desk. This complicated things. He hadn't expected everything to go perfectly according to plan. It never did. But Super Guy actually winning wasn't something he had seriously considered. At the very least, the Cyclone was to escape. Those were his explicit orders if something were to go wrong during the test. Of course, about the time the villain realized he was in trouble, he was most likely unconscious the next second, which really wasn't enough time to do anything about it. He might even be dead now. Dead would be more convenient for Grey Matter. 
but not likely considering Cyclone's level of power. The villain was probably alive, just incapacitated for a while. Definitely more than enough time to be taken into custody. Grey Matter sat and thought, slowly drumming his fingers on his desk. Finally, he looked toward the side of the room where Alex stood, and the young man came over. Yes, sir? Ask someone from legal to have representation arranged for the cyclone. Use the firm we had handled that messy business in New York last year. They've done defense work for supervillains before. Won't using them be traced back to us, sir? Yes, if someone were to look closely enough. But I think it's time to let them know who they're dealing with. I'll get right on it, said Alex, turning smartly and heading for the door. Meanwhile, Grey Matter spun his chair back around and flipped the wall monitors on again. The three with the local news feeds were still on, but all of his operators had shut down and cleared out. One local channel showed a view of Superguy standing at the edge of the building looking down, his costume burnt away at the shoulder and thigh, skin seared red underneath, the effects of the battle obvious in his exhausted expression. But he was triumphant. If the man hadn't quite been a hero before, he was now. It was an impressive sight, even on local news, and made Grey Matter smile. He knew a challenge would only make him stronger, his plans more ingenious, and it seemed he might have found a worthy adversary. You have been listening to Super Guy by Kurt Klopton. A faux fiction audio production, published by Not A Pipe Publishing. Look for the sequel to Superguy coming this September. This recording, characters, and the situations within are the property of their author and creator, and protected by copyright. If you wish to listen to more episodes in advance, search Patreon.com, then Faux Fiction Audio, and sign up to be a monthly patron. Or, stay tuned until the next week for your free episode. We will see you then. Hi, this is John Bell. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. In my podcast, Bells in the Battery, I usually surpass a thousand words. Why does he? But for every episode, there is also a picture. You mean that itty-bitty picture that you see when you bring up the episode? Yes, that's called a thumbnail. They're drawn on thumbnails? But now you can see all the thumbnail pictures in large format by going to the Bells in the Bat Free Gallery. Just go online to thebatfree.com. That's T-H-E-B-A-T-F-R-Y dot com. And click on Gallery. That's G-A-L-L-E. I think they can figure that out. You'll see all the pictures for all the episodes that were created by Jeff Music, along with other guest artists like the Lavalier Brothers and famous animation director Dan Reba. Oh, he knows one celebrity, and he really wants you to know about it. You'll also see lots of fan art over the years and a few surprises so when you're in the mood for a picture instead of a thousand words especially especially his his words go to thebatfree.com and click on gallery and be sure to clean your thumbnails before viewing